the button. There we go. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Uh, and we are going to be in Revelation 13. We left off right around verse 7. So I'm going to read verses 1 through 6 uh, just to catch us up. If, if those of you that weren't here, if you're here in this room, there's Bibles back there on that table if you don't have one. Uh, Revelation 13 is pretty much known as the Antichrist chapter. He's mentioned in 2 Thessalonians and other places, but nowhere as fully as he is in Revelation 13. But there's a second evil character that we'll meet tonight, which is the false prophet. Where we are right now is um, in a pause. Chapters 12, 13, 14, I, I think even 15 are a pause where John's filling in some details. It's not chronological. Um, the Antichrist is revealed at the beginning of the tribulation, but not the evil character until midway through the tribulation. So let's read verses 1 through 6, uh, and I'll briefly discuss them, and then we'll dive into the notes and start in verse 7. So I know that you're awake. Say amen. Amen. Wow, very good. Those of you on Zoom, hold up your amen signs. I see that, Glenn. Uh, thank you. All right. Say amen. Beautiful. Um, all right. Chapter 13, verse 1. So we're, we're roughly, time-wise, we're in a pause, but we're halfway through the tribulation. Three and a half years in. This is when everything changes for the worst. The dragon, verse 1, stood on the shore of the sea, or stood on the sand of the sea, sometimes some uh, translations have. And I saw a beast coming up out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. From the other chapters, we know that the dragon is the devil. No question, John defines him as that. So the dragon standing on the shore of the sea, and his man comes up out of the sea. Um, the sea is emblematic in the Old Testament for the confused masses, the disorganized, unbelieving world. So the beast is Antichrist. Okay, this is a man that is empowered by Satan. He is a man, though, coming up out of that confused man, uh, mankind sea, if you will, S-E-A. He's a man, but he is possessed, controlled, and empowered by Satan to do miracles, to have incredible charisma and power. He's going to do what no other man has ever been able to do, which is one man ruling the whole world. So the beast comes up out of the sea, ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on each horn, and on each head a blasphemous name, still in verse 1. That is uh, goes back to Daniel. We did it last week, so I won't do it again. But horns uh, signify power, and there are ten nations or conglomerates of different nations that come together under his control. Um, and they end up with seven heads because he gets rid of three of them, if you read the book of Daniel and elsewhere. Uh, ten crowns, meaning they're kings, they're leaders, and on each head a blasphemous name. Blasphemy is to say anything about God that's not true, or to claim something else is God, or claim glory for yourself as God, which is also not true. So there's a lot of blasphemy uh, there in that verse. Verse 2, the beast I saw 
And these, by the way, animals go back to Daniel, which are the kingdoms that God showed him that would um, have to do with the Middle East and Israel back when we studied Daniel maybe a year ago. Uh, the beast that I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear. Leopard being very quick animal. Uh, that's the Greek Empire, which took over the world under Alexander the Great in incredibly uh, short order. Something like 11 years he took over the known uh, area uh, in uh, the Middle East and in Europe and what have you. Uh, let's see, where were we? Um, Okay, the feet uh, like those of a bear, that's much more slow, but very strong. That's the Medo-Persian Empire, back to Daniel again. Mouth like that of a lion, that would be the Babylonian Empire. So he's a conglomerate of all the evil empires we saw in Daniel with great speed, with great power, and, uh, and ferociousness with the lion and the bear. Um, Let's see, the dragon, that's the devil, gave the beast, that's the Antichrist, his power and his throne and great authority. So the devil is putting this guy in power. The devil knows his time is short. He's pulling out all the stops to do as much damage to Christians and Jews as he can and take as many people with him as he can to hell. Verse 3, one of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. We said last week, there are those that take all this stuff so symbolically that there's no meat and potatoes here. But most scholars think this is, remember, he's the anti-Christ, against Christ instead of Christ. He's going to claim to be the Messiah of the whole world, the Messiah for the, Hebrew, for the Hebrews, the Messiah for the Christians, the Messiah for all religions, all peoples. In a Christ-like move, he's killed. A fatal wound, as you know, is not good. It means you die. And his fatal wound is healed. That's a resurrection. It's a way of saying a resurrection. Um, let's see. The whole world was filled with wonder. There probably was a funeral, uh, a big procession, probably had his casket open, and there he is laying in there, and everybody's so sad, and he gets up out of the casket and says, just like I did 2,000 years ago, I've risen from the dead again. Uh, or maybe he just says, I am the real Christ, and that one was a faker. Who knows? But um, the whole world was filled with wonder, end of verse 3, and followed the beast. That's enough proof for most of the world that's not believers. You and I, if we're alive at this time, the spirit being within us and we're on the earth, the spirit in us, will we will know this guy's evil. Um, but he's going to solve all the world problems and look like a real good guy at the beginning. So they follow him. They people worship the dragon. Notice that the devil. The question is, knowingly? I don't think so. I think they think they're worshiping the beast, but he is connected to the dragon. They worshiped the dragon because he'd given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast, both. And they asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him or it? Some translations have. Those words, who can wage war against, rhetorically asked, are a, several times in the Old Testament pointing to God. Look at God's power. Look at the universe. Look at the stars. Look at the power to create, to um protect Israel. Who can wage war against God? Well, now that's applied to 
Satan and the beast, especially the beast. Who can wage war against him? The beast was given, verse 5, a mouth to utter proud words. That's that lion's mouth. And blasphemies. So he's going to say he's God. He's going to say, all you Christians, you were wrong. Because here I am. Where's your God? Where God? You Jews, where's your God? We Muslims, where's Allah? I'm here. I'm doing miracles. I've taken over the world. Great worship. So uh, let's see. He's given authority to act for 42 months. That's it. That's the good news. That means three and a half years. That's it. Could be a 20-year kingdom. Can you imagine? Jesus says in Matthew 24, if those days were shortened, no one would be saved. He, eventually, everybody would be slaughtered. Um, let's see. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God, verse 6, and to slander his name or his character and his dwelling place, that's heaven, and those who live in heaven, that's all believers who have passed on, or if the rapture's already occurred, that are already in heaven, it would include angels. He's putting down God, angels, all of it. And with apparent Im uh, immunity, God's not striking him dead. He's going to be like Dr. Herman Shapiro, who I took philosophy from at San Jose State. I told you, I think two weeks ago, this Jewish guy, he was an atheist. He taught philosophy, and he said to our class, I'm going to prove there's no God. God, I'll give you 30 seconds to kill me. And then he looked at his watch for 30 seconds, and he said, there, I've proven it. I think that's what the Antichrist is going to do. How come nobody can stop me? Where's your God? Why doesn't he stop me? But he will stop him eventually. Verse 7. It was given power to wage, this is the bad news for believers, to wage war against God's holy people. That's the Jews and Christians. Wage war against them, that's one thing, but then there's that second phrase. Do you see it there? And conquer them. What does that mean? That means that as has been true in all periods of Christian history, there have been, and will be, this is saying, martyrs, those who die for their faith. Remember that there will be some Christians, so-called, who, when confronted with, you better worship the beast, they're going to say, okay, fine. We're going to learn about the mark on the hand or the forehead tonight. Go ahead, give me the mark. They're going to wimp out. I would argue those people were never saved. The Holy Spirit was not inside of them. They had a said faith as opposed to a real faith. But in any case, this is the bad news. Um, and it's going to seem like there's a lot of bad news in this chapter. That's why chapter 14, when we get there, is such good news. It's, it's like John can't resist putting in, but here's the real other side of the story. So he's going to wage war against God's holy people. He's going to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. Why is that in there? To make sure you understand this is not a localized little empire in one part of the world, the Middle East or in Europe, every, all over the world. Um, to do that, there has to be a weakening of some superpowers, amen? Like China, Russia, the United States, surely, others, right? For this guy to be able to waltz in and take over. So a worldwide depression, maybe, who knows? Um, 
but his, he is being controlled by Satan, but limited by God in the scope and the time of his power. But if we think as believers, if we are alive at this time, who knows, we may not be, we may be. If we think Jesus loves me, I'm a Christian, he's gonna, I have immunity, he's going to protect me, we might be wrong. You read the history of the Christian church, there's been martyrs all along. Eleven of the twelve apostles were killed for their faith. John's the only one that wasn't. He got exiled to the island of Patmos. The, the tradition about John, by the way, can't prove it, is that he was boiled in oil to kill him, and he lived. And they went, wow, okay, just put him on Patmos and get rid of him because it's too much of a witness or a testimony for Christ. So um, every tribe, people, language, nation. So at that time, there are two sides like there always was. Satan's side, God's side. There will be no middle ground where I'm not really committing to the Antichrist, but I'm not a believer either. There won't be space for that. You'll see as we go. Verse, uh, hey, let me look at my notes here, make sure I didn't forget anything important. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, a lot of people thought that the Antichrist was Caesar Nero. When we get to the 666, I'll explain that. Okay, One of the worst of the Roman emperors. He burned Christians stuck on poles coated with tar in his garden during parties. He used Christians as nightlights, so to speak. An unbelievably evil guy. But Caesar Nero's power was not every tribe, language, nation. It wasn't. It was much more localized. Uh, probably wasn't him. Is he a precursor to or a, a, a picture of the Antichrist? Yes, I believe uh, he is. Um, okay. I, we mentioned last week that in Daniel 9, it says that the Antichrist makes a firm covenant, a treaty with the Jews for seven years. You can build your temple. You can do your worshiping and everything. Jesus explains, as does Daniel, halfway through, he breaks the deal. No more worship of Yahweh. No more worship of God. I'm him and demands worship in the temple rebuilt in Israel. Um, let's see. So uh, this guy will be a military, a military genius, an economic genius. He will speak like no other man ever has, charismatically. If you watch videos, I don't speak German. Have you ever watched videos of Adolf Hitler speaking? Every speech... He starts very softly and slowly, and it's almost hypnotic. And as the speech goes on, his tempo gets faster and his voice gets louder. If you watch the end of the speeches, he's screaming, he's yelling, and people are cheering. He just works them into a frenzy. People thought Hitler was the, well, I'll give you a list eventually of who people thought was the Antichrist. Um, but all kinds of theories. Um, let's see, go back to verse Eight, all the inhabitants of the earth, as if it wasn't enough to say every tribe, people, language, nation, John wants you to know all inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Every single person? No, there's an asterisk. Here it comes. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. The only exception is the Christians. 
And you get the feeling here that their names were written in there before the foundation of the world. That's your name, my name, every Christian that's ever lived. God knew ahead of time. He chose them, Ephesians 1 says, in two different places. But some of them might not be Christians at this second when they're considering getting the mark and God's going to save them in time. They will not worship him. The Roman Empire, Empire had a rule you're part of the Roman Empire. We've taken over your country. The rule is once a year, you burn a pinch of incense publicly with Romans standing by watching, and you say the words, Caesar is Lord. You mean Lord? Yes. You're proclaiming he's Lord. Now, people did this knowing, I don't believe it, but sure, I'll say it. Go ahead. You and I shouldn't say it at all because it's not true, right? Christians not only wouldn't say it and were persecuted, some of them were killed, some of them were imprisoned, but that's where Christians got the saying, Jesus is Lord, which the Romans hated that. See, now you're revolutionaries. You're saying somebody else is Lord, not Caesar. Remember, Caesar is a title, not a name. There, was several, there were several Caesars. Nero was just one of them. Augustus, Julius Caesar, um, there was a bunch. Anyway, uh, we talked about Nero. Yeah, we'll get to more about Nero in a second. The Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is in there. Did you know that? It's an amazing thing. And under crimes committed, sins committed, there's nothing there. You say, no, you don't know me very well. No. I know myself well enough to know there would be pages, volumes of sin. It's all gone. It says paid for by Jesus Christ. That's all it says. It's an incredible thing. That's why we owe him everything. So uh, let's keep rolling. Back to verse 8. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. Wow. Just like being in the army. Amen. Uh, how about you online? Everybody sleeping? Okay, good. Um, say amen. All right. I heard you. Um, the lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You say, well, that's a mistake. He was slain a couple thousand years ago. That was long after the creation, several thousand years at least, right? Yes, technically. But that verse is in there to let you know that not only did he write the names, God, of those that were going to be saved way in advance before he created the world, he also had the plan in mind, my son is going to go to the earth, God the Father, my son's going to go to the earth and pay for the sins of the world, he's going to die. So it was such a done deal, when God says something, it never doesn't happen, it always does happen. So in a sense, he was slain, from the creation of the world on. It was a done deal. That was always God's plan. The so what is this? God did not watch Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and say, oh no. Look, did you see what happened? The, the devil just tricked the, He knew from the beginning what was going to happen. He knew that not everybody would believe, but it was worth it to save some through his son, Jesus Christ. Verse 9 is a phrase that appears seven other times to the seven letters to the seven churches. Do you remember that? He that hath an ear, let them hear, or whoever has ears, let them hear. Everybody reach over and, okay, you have an ear? 
What is this saying? This is saying everybody better listen up. Okay, this is really important. One of the phrases God, God uses in the Bible to say, listen up, very important statement coming. Another one is in the Gospel of John, Jesus. Verily, verily, I say unto you, truly, truly, I tell you. He's saying, listen up, this is really serious stuff. So there it is, verse 9. All by itself. Everyone's going to worship the beast except believers. If they're written in the Lamb's Book of Life, they're not just Jewish. They are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here comes verse 10. So verse 9, something important is coming. Here it comes. I'm going to tell you right now that the way the Greek is written in verse 10 can be taken two different ways. Okay? And scholars have argued over, well, which is the correct way? And it's hard to say. I'll tell you the bottom line when we get through the verse. Verse 10, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity, they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed. This calls for, calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints or God's people. Okay, you say, what do you mean two different ways? One way to take this, the way that I think is correct, is this. He's warning about verse 7. Look at the context. Satan's going to be able to uh, use the Antichrist to wage war against God's people. Satan's always wanted to do that. He can persecute believers. He can oppress but not possess believers because the Holy Spirit already lives inside us. And when Satan wants to indwell us, the Holy Spirit says, I live here, get lost, basically right? I don't want a roommate. See you later. But he's finally got a one man in power who's evil, who can use that power, that power of government to persecute believers. That's what he's warning about. And the fact that we're going to be outnumbered in verse eight, everybody's going to worship him except the Christians. How do you know there's less Christians than non-Christians, Joe? Because Jesus said it. Narrow is the way that leads to eternal life and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that find it. Remember, most people on planet Earth are not Christians. True, Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Islam is a close second, by the way, now. But we're still about a quarter of the population of the world say they're Christians, about 2 billion. Are they all really saved? I don't know. Okay, he's about to warn. Verse 10 says... The way, the, when, way number one to take this verse is this. If anyone is destined for, one translation has, captivity, they're going to go into captivity. Translation, if it is your, my destiny will make it me, not you. If it's my destiny that when Antichrist comes to power, if I'm alive on the earth and he hears, Joe has a Bible study, and they send somebody down here and arrest me, if I'm destined for captivity, I am not to think, oh no, God, somehow there was a glitch in heaven and he didn't catch this and stop it. No, I might be destined for captivity, just like Peter was, Paul was, Paul was beheaded. We might be destined for that. Not all of us, but some. What he's saying is, well, let me read the rest of the verse. If you're destined for captivity, into captivity, you'll go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, you say, well, that's worse. That's capital punishment. That's 
chopping your head off or stabbing you with a sword to kill you. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword, they will be killed. That's NIV. The other translation, some of the other translations word it a little differently where the meaning would be retribution from God. Okay, listen. What I mean is, if someone takes Joe into captivity because I'm a Christian, they, let's say the Harold, the Antichrist soldier comes in, takes me captive and and roughs me up and takes me to prison in Antichrist prison, whatever. That person, Harold, is going to get the same thing. Different from me, though. What do you mean? Jail? No. I mean hell forever. They might put me in prison for the longest they could do at this point is three and a half years. Then Christ returns. I'm out, right? So are you. But that person, some translations make it sound like it's retribution. In other words, if they lead into captivity, into captivity, they will go. They lead Joe into captivity, they're going to be in captivity too. Not in the same jail, in hell forever. In other words, it's not discounting the fact Joe might go to prison, or you might, believers might, if, if this happens 100 years from now. It's saying there's retribution. There will be way worse payment back at that retribution for them for leading me to there. Same thing for the second half of the verse. Look at it again. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword, they will be killed the way that, that it's worded. And in the Greek, it's nebulous. It could go either way. It's, they're saying, if Harold comes in, Antichrist police captain, and kills me, he's going to get killed too, except God's going to do it. It'll be way worse. It's another way of saying even greater punishment. But the bottom line ain't good, temporarily speaking. Chapter 14 is going to put it all into perspective, so you got to stay tuned for that. Don't be reading ahead. I saw you. Um, either way, there will be some Christians during the tribulation, the second half especially, which will go to prison. I don't want you to be, if you're alive at the time, and I am too, don't be surprised if it's you or if it's your sister or your uncle or your kid. And there's going to be some that will be martyrs. Again, don't be surprised. Satan's man is not going to have any grace or kindness in his being. He's going to want to kill or imprison Christians. Um, proof that I'm right about that is the last sentence in verse 10. Do you see it? This, or here is, the patient endurance and faithfulness of God's people, of the saints. This calls for, listen, patient endurance and faithfulness. May I say, I get sent to prison. I'm supposed to go to prison, staying faithful to God and patiently enduring it. What's the opposite of patient? What are you trying to say, Joe? I'm saying if I have a chance, I'm not supposed to hit the guy with a bat over the head, kill him and run away. It's there is a pacifism in Christianity with regard to being persecuted for the truth. That does not apply to armies, navies, air force, marines, whatever, when there's a just war. If somebody attacks a, a, an ally of ours and they're killing people, we have every right and 
responsibility, even as Christians, I believe, to fight in a, war, a just war, okay? Where it gets dicey with wars is when there's a question as to who's right and who's wrong in this war. Why are we going halfway around the world to fight? It would be much easier if they were attacking Louisiana, right? Or Texas, we'd all be, let's go kind of thing. Anyway, didn't mean to get off subject there. Either way, verse 10 says there are some Christians that are going to go into captivity. There are some that are going to be killed with the sword at this time. American Western Christians know almost nothing of this kind of persecution. For us, persecution is they made fun of me in school when we studied evolution, or that my boss is anti-Christian. and We know nothing of this kind of stuff, but in history of the Christian church, this has been widespread, this sort of thing, widespread. There are those that think, oh, we won't be persecuted. We'll be safe. We'll be immune from this stuff. God, my God will protect me. Did Peter say that? Did John say that? Did all of them? They went to their deaths proclaiming their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Don't worry about it, though, because if you have the Holy Spirit and you know the Lord, he will provide that at the time. And a key to the jail cell? Not necessarily. And a dull blade that won't cut my neck? Not necessarily, right? Okay, now that I've bummed everyone out, let's move on. Now it gets worse. There's a second beast. Oh, but he's much cuter. Watch. Then I saw a second beast. This is the false prophet. He's called that in this book. Then I saw a second beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. How many horns were on the other beast? Ten horns, seven heads. It's a beast beast. I, may I say, I've been meaning to say this. When you hear seven heads, ten horns, remember that's symbolic. Don't look at a guy who's speaking that has taken over the world and say, well, he's only got one head. He can't be the, it's symbolic, okay? Not going to be the seven-headed monster, literally. All those things speak of some other characteristic. Okay, second beast. This one comes out of the earth. Where did the Antichrist come out of? The sea. Literally, this is interesting. One of the reasons some people think the second beast, the false prophet, is a Jew is that the word can be translated a second beast coming up out of or from the land. Old Testament, the land is Israel. Could this guy be a Jew? He is the henchman of the Antichrist. I don't know. Or does it just mean he comes out of the earth? I don't know. Second beast coming out of the earth, two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Who's the dragon again, class? <clears throat> the devil. So this guy looks much more timid. If you will, this is the satanic trinity. Dr the dragon, devil, taking the place of God the Father. Anti-Christ taking the place of Christ. This guy's taking the place of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points to Jesus. He helps us worship Jesus. This guy points to the Antichrist, you watch, and helps you and even makes you, not you, but unbelievers, worship Antichrist. Let's see. It spoke like a dragon. The words that came out of his mouth, he looked like a little lamb, two horns, not a lot of power, but boy, he talks like the devil. 
The words he says are evil. Verse 12, it exercised all the authority of the first beast on his or its behalf. And he made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. There it is again, fake resurrection. We said last week, can the devil raise a human body from the dead? I don't think so. Maybe some people think it's a fake resurrection. Some people think it's a real resurrection. A, a wound, we'll, we'll, we we'll talk about this uh, at some point. The wound is with a sword. And I think for the world to be convinced the guy is dead, it can't be a little flesh wound to the arm where there's a little bit of blood. I, to me, it would have to be he's, his head's cut off or the sword goes right through him, right through his heart. I don't know. But the world's convinced he's dead and he comes back to life. Is it a fake? Is it the real thing? Uh, again, can't be sure. Um, uh, we're going to save verse, chapter 17 for later. Uh, before we move on to the false prophet, I forgot to do this. Antichrist, Christ. Comparison. Antichrist is called the man of sin in 2 Thessalonians. Jesus is the sinless man. Antichrist is, uh, in the Old Testament, the idle or foolish shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. The Antichrist is a beast. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Antichrist is the one whose death deceives the world. And Jesus Christ is the one whose death saves many in the world. The Antichrist is the deceiver, he's called. Jesus Christ says he is the truth personified. Antichrist is the wicked one, he's called. Jesus Christ is the perfect one or the holy one. Um, do we want to go there now? I think we're going to wait on 2 Thessalonians. Okay, back to the, the, that was a little review there. Okay, his henchman, the false prophet. Uh, he's a second beast, speaks like a dragon. He's got all the authority and he makes the inhabitants of the earth worship the first beast. He's the one that cracks the whip. He's the one that is his PR guy, okay, at the podium. Isn't Antichrist great? Look what he did today. Um, we all need to bow down to him. Watch, I'm going to do it too, this guy's going to say. He makes the, everybody worship the first beast. He's even reminding them, end of verse 12, about that fatal wound. Remember, it's the only one that came back from the dead. And he or it, verse 13, performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of the people. Translation, spectacular miracles. You know how the world is, right? They see a miracle, they, wow, they're willing to follow anybody. This is an amazing uh, display, fire from heaven. Uh, rem reminiscent of chapter 11 with the two witnesses, remember, they could call down fire uh, from heaven as well. So he leads worship. He does uh, amazing miracles. Keep in mind that... Um, the tribulation is not a time of atheism. It's not a time of no religion. And the reason is because 
In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that God has built into the heart of man, he has placed eternity in their hearts. In other words, people, human beings, want religion. You may say, not now so much. No, they do. They just want it on their terms. As I said last week, Burger King, have it your way. That's the religion they want. If I'm an alcoholic, my religion is, my God is fine with the drinking. If I'm a lustful person sleeping around, my God understands that and he's fine with it. We want to build a, a scripture of religion, a God that agrees with us. It's fun to ask people that have done this, can your God challenge you and how? If you don't have a holy book, that's what this book does. It challenges me. Things that I do that I think, well, that wasn't that bad. I read it. Oh, no, it was bad. It was bad, right? Um, okay. So remember Pharaoh's music, uh, magicians, not musicians, magicians in the Old Testament were able to match some of Aaron's miracles uh, that he did. Um, we're going to talk about that in a second. Um by the way, Deuteronomy 13 says to judge the worker, listen to this, of miracles by their message. What is it a sign pointing to? If it's an evil message, you are to disregard and discard the teaching and the messenger with it. Uh, Matthew 7, Jesus says in the end times, false prophets would show great signs and wonders. Here it is. Miracles nationally televised miracles, not special effects that you could explain away. They'd have to be, in, in 2022, they'd have to be pretty spectacular. All of us have watched movies, and it looks real, doesn't it, with spectacular things happening. It's all done in a computer, computer-generated graphics. This is uh, an, a, a display like we've never seen before. Um, there are churches who major in, not Jesus, not the Bible, not the Holy Spirit, not obedience, not doctrine, miracles. We love miracles here. Miracles, miracles. We want to see more miracles. Problem with that is you get your eye off Jesus. You're liable to be so taken up with the miracles that you end up veering off doctrinally. Do we have time to do this? We do. Um, but do we want to do it right here? Uh, Jesus says, an a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Uh, he mentioned that. Let's see. Uh, no, let's keep rolling, and then we'll, we'll take some detours. Uh, verse 14. Because of the signs it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants, or he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He's deceiving people with miracles. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Okay, what's this? There were all kinds of stories in the ancient world of so-called stories of people that built idols, statues, and the rumor was so-and-so got the statue to speak. Okay? The Old Testament and the Psalms, some of the prophets, makes fun of all the idols that people believed in, in Israel, which were pagan, because they're made of gold, they're made of silver, they're made of rock, they're made of stone, they're made of wood. They can't speak. 
If you push it over, boom, it falls and breaks. That's not a god. This guy is going to make a giant image of the Antichrist. I don't know if it's life-size, six foot tall, or if it's 50 feet tall or 200 feet tall. I don't know if it's a hologram. I don't know if it's technology. I don't know if it's special effects. I don't know if it's actually a built thing that comes to life, but that's what it sounds like. Um, it, it ordered, middle of verse 14, it ordered them to set up an image of the beast or in honor of the beast, that's the Antichrist, who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. There's the resurrection again. <coughs> The, be the second beast, that's the false prophet, was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak. Got the picture? And cause all who refuse to worship the image to be killed. The image itself can speak and cause people who aren't bowing down with a laser or something to die, to kill them forced worship. May I say, remember the mask mandate for COVID? This is a worship mandate. It's not a choice. If you feel like worshiping the beast I built here, this it's mandatory. Get on your knees, everyone. Some people rebel, they're killed. Everybody else goes, whoa, and gets on their knees. He makes them worship this image. Um, there have been people that have said, well, this is uh, John seeing people around the world watching a computer screen or a big screen TV and seeing the image of the guy. I don't know. doesn't sound that way to me. sounds like it's an image somewhere in the world, maybe Jerusalem, maybe Rome, and it's giant and the thing comes to life. And again, another so-called miracle. Can the devil give breath to an image truly and make it come alive. I don't think so. I think that's a God thing. Remember, God makes Adam out of the dust of the earth, and guess what? He's dead until God breathes into him the breath of life. Do you remember? In New Testament, what you see is Jesus breathes on the apostles in the Gospel of John, remember, and says, receive the Holy Spirit. He's showing, I'm God. I have the ability to give life. Peter, James, and John are going, we're already alive. What are you doing? He's given them spiritual life. Receive the Holy Spirit. We still have time. Okay. Uh, now it's detour time. Are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Very good. Those of you on Zoom, are you awake? Okay. Go to Matthew 24. I think we already did this once or twice, but it's very important we look at some other scriptures that talk about the same thing. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse where Jesus explains the end times. Um, verse 4, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. There'll be wars, rumors of wars. Verse 6, um, kingdom will rise against kingdom, famines, earthquakes. All these, verse 8, are the beginning of birth pangs. Just the start. Then verse 9, you'll be handed over and persecuted and put to death, hated by all nations. We read about the persecution, didn't we? Uh, many will turn away from the faith. I'm not getting persecuted. I'm just going to worship the beast and fit in. I'm going to obey the mandate kind of thing. And many false prophets, verse 11, the love of many will grow cold. I think we're seeing that today in our society, verse 12. Just my opinion. 
Um, but whoever stands firm to the end will be saved, verse 13. And this gospel, you're going to see this in chapter 14, this gospel will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see verse 15, standing in the holy place, that's the rebuilt temple probably, the abomination that causes desolation, that's what we just read. This figure of Antichrist being built and being worshipped probably in Jerusalem in the temple of God. When you see that, spoken of through Daniel the prophet, that's chapter 9, then let those who are Judea flee. He says split immediately. It's, now it's going to get really heavy. That's what he's saying. Um, how dreadful and for pregnant women in those days. Uh, verse 21, for then there will be great distress, distress unequaled from the beginning of the world till now. The great tribulation, great tribulation, and never to be equaled again. If those days hadn't been cut short, no one would survive. For the sake of the elect, that's the believers, those chosen, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says, look, here's the Christ, there he is. That's what they're going to be saying. Antichrist, here he is, the one we've been waiting for. Don't believe it. False Christs, and perform, look at verse 24, they'll perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. I've told you ahead of time. Um, okay. Um, Christ comes back in verse 30. And all the nations mourn. He comes on the clouds. And with the angels on a trumpet call, they're going to gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. That's four winds, the earth. One end of the heavens to the other. That's heaven. Gather all the believers. Now, turn to 2 Thessalonians. New Testament to the right, chapter 2. And you know what? While you're turning there, I'll tell you that we're going to take our two-minute break so you can stretch your legs and have a brownie back there. Those of you on Zoom will be faxing you a brownie, so turn on your fax. No, just kidding. We'll be right back in two minutes. Don't go away. I'm going to turn my screen off. I'll be right back. There we go. We're back. Find your seats, those of you that are here. Everybody's got a mouthful of brownies. We are a well-fed Bible study, aren't we? Find your seats and we'll get started again. This second beast is the false prophet. He's doing miracles and making people worship the beast, the Antichrist, and worship his image around the world somehow. Um... So, yeah, that was verse 14. Set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He gave breath to the image of the first beast, verse 15. It could speak and kill everyone who didn't worship. Now, hopefully you turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you didn't, that's okay. Um, let's see. Um Let's read 2 Thessalonians 2. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to him. He's talking about the second coming and the rapture. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letters supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord had already come. This is 2,000 years ago. There was rumors going around. Yeah, did you hear? The day of the Lord already came. Day of the Lord is a period for, is a term for this period of the second coming, the tribulation, seven years, judgment, antichrist, all of it. 
Some of them were saying it's already come. He's saying, verse 3, Paul is, don't let anyone deceive you in any way. That day will not come until. Stop. What that means is that day just can't show up tomorrow morning. I'm going to show you why. Okay, it can't. People say, no, it's imminent. It can happen anytime. Not until two things happen. Watch. That day will not come until the rebellion or the apostasia, the apostasy, the falling away happens. What's that? That's mass numbers of people you and I thought were Christians who suddenly, I, I don't know that I believe anymore. I'm not going to church anymore. Do you hear about Pastor so-and-so? Yeah, he's not a Christian now. Mass numbers, a falling away of believers. Some see the rapture there, by the way. I don't believe it, but maybe. Um, the falling away occurs, and the man of lawlessness, guess who that is? Antichrist, is revealed. Notice I'm not asking you to say amen. You know why? Because you got a muffler brownie. Okay. The man of lawlessness has to be revealed for that. That sets the time clock going. The man doomed to destruction, the son of perdition. He, Antichrist, this is Paul's take on the Antichrist. Notice how much it ties in with John's in Revelation. He will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped. Stop. That means he's going to exalt himself over the Jewish God, the Christian God, the Muslim God, Buddha, Muhammad, everybody that's worshipped. All the 330 million Hindu gods, Vishnu, whoever, he's going to say, I'm above all of them. Exalt himself. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, Jerusalem, proclaiming himself to be not a God, God. He's going to say, I'm it. Uh, don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. Now you know what's holding him back uh, or restraining him so that he may be revealed at the proper time. Most scholars think that's the Antichrist. Even John MacArthur, who's pre-trib on the rapture, thinks that's just the Holy Spirit getting out of the way. He doesn't see the rapture there, although he does see it before the tribulation. Okay. Uh, then the lawlessness, verse 8, will be revealed. Okay, you know what that means? There will come a time when there will be no question, is he the Antichrist or is it so-and-so or is it? He will be revealed. We'll know. The world will know. They just won't know him as beast or Antichrist. They'll know him as the savior of the world, right? The leader of that whole kingdom. But he will be revealed at one time. Here comes some good news whom the Lord Jesus will wrestle with for 28 years before he can, is that what it says? The Lord Jesus will overthrow him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. It's, he, the Antichrist is so powerful, and yet Jesus shows up and he's no match for Jesus. Um, the coming, verse 9, of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan. Didn't we read that in Revelation 13? Displayed in all kinds of, NIV has, um, it was just brought up to me, counterfeit miracles. Do you see that in NIV? I believe New American Standard has lying miracles or lying signs and wonders. The question is, are they counterfeit, meaning fake, or are they lying in that they are pointing to his deity, which is a lie kind of thing? Um, so, but in, in either case, there's going to be 
miracles, signs, wonders, verse 10, and every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. Why do they perish, Paul? They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so to be saved. Now, this is typical of God. Once people are deceived, God lets them deceive, be deceived even more. Look at verse 11. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the, not a, the lie. Now, there have been those that say, well, the, the lie is evolution. The lie is that Jesus is not Lord. He didn't die on the cross. In context, the lie is that Antichrist is God, I think. And so that all will be condemned to have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Okay, go back to Revelation. You still awake? Kind of. Okay. Amen. All right. Uh, even I said amen. Okay. Back to Revelation 13. So he's doing miracles. The, the image of the beast, statue, something, can speak and kill people who don't worship. Verse 16, here comes this famous verse. How many have heard 666, right? I know people that were about to buy a car and saw that the license plate was 666 and went, oh no, not me. I'm not Antichrist. That's not what it means, okay? If your phone number ends in 666, you're okay. It also forced all people that, John, do you mean all people? Great and small, rich and poor, free and slave. Who does he mean? All people. You mean governors, presidents, kings, billionaires, and slaves, and everybody. It's going to force. Remember the mandate for the masks, the mandate for the worship? We're going to have another mandate, hand or forehead, receive a mark. Watch. He forced forces all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. And then we have the 666 verse. We'll get to that. Okay, let's talk about this for a while. May I say, might surprise you, this is an ingenious economic system. In the right hands, this is absolute genius. Let me tell you why. If I have a wallet with $200 in cash in it, guess what? Someone can steal my wallet, can't they? Or they could stick a gun in my belly and say, give me your wallet. And I would be like, I have nothing now. If I have no cash, but I've got three credit cards, okay? Can someone steal my credit cards? Yes. Nowadays, you don't even need the card. You could just steal my number, right? How many have had that happen? Okay, yeah, us too. Okay, so this is an extremely ingenious economic system. A mark on your hand or a mark on your forehead. You can't steal my hand. You can't steal my forehead. What will this be? Okay, until the 21st century, or in the age of computers, people always said, skeptics, it's impossible for one man to control all the commerce in China and India and South America and Mexico and everywhere in, you know, Dallas and wherever, course gold. Nowadays, with computers, 
when you put that little boop, your credit card in, it knows your name, your address, your phone number, everything. I think in the future, it will also have all your medical information, all your banking stuff, how much money you have, how much money you owe. Okay, so this is an ingenious but evil system. If you have to take this mark, which could be a chip under the skin, a barcode under the skin, something like that, I don't know. Slaves were marked or tattooed indicating ownership. Why the right hand, why the, why the forehead? Conspicuousness, right? It's not on the rear end that you have to pull your pants down and go, look, see, I've got the mark. It's right here, right hand or forehead. You get to choose maybe, right? Both are creepy, wouldn't you agree? And so that would mean you can't buy or sell. May I say, that would mean you also can't get a paycheck, can't get your social security, can't get Medicare. You can't barter. I'm going to talk to Jim Foster. Um, and we're going to, I'm going to trade him for some stuff. We don't need the mark. And that will be, in my opinion, illegal. You get caught bartering. I'll give you some cucumbers if you give me some apples. You're in big trouble. You don't have the mark. Everywhere you go, checkpoints. Boop. Everything is de deducted. You bought $42 worth of groceries, which nowadays is like half a bag, right? Boop. And it's all deducted. You don't need to handle cash. Nobody can say, stick them up, give me your money. There's nothing to steal. If anyone is wanted by the police and they have a mark, they'll know exactly where they are and pick them up immediately. It's ingenious, but it's evil. By the same token, if you don't have the mark, you are up the creek unless God provides. And I know he will. But you can't buy or sell anything. You lost your job. Your bank account's frozen, right? And uh, you are forced to hide, basically, right? If you come out of hiding and preach the gospel, they're going to go, do you have the mark? No. Throw him in jail. Cut his head off. What we read earlier. I don't mean to paint such a glim, a horrible picture, uh, but the point is, for a believer, what you're going to see in chapter 14 is, if the teacher would hurry up and get there, you're going to see that it's all worth it. That even if you and I are persecuted, even if we're put in prison, even if we're killed for our faith, it is because we stuck up for our the gospel in Jesus Christ and would rather go ahead and kill me or put me in prison for three and a half years, you, Mr. Harold, uh, agent of the Antichrist, you're going to go to hell forever. Everyone who takes the mark goes to hell. Skip over with me to chapter 14 for a second. I know we're not there yet. Uh, I want to finish chapter 13, but I want to show you, because people have asked me, the question has arisen, what if somebody says, whoa, 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 I, I, I just did this for financial reasons. Um, I'm still a Christian. I got the mark, but I'm just trying to feed my family, man, and myself. Or they did it not knowing that it was connected to something so evil. Aren't there any exceptions or excuses? Answer, no. Um, 
verse uh, 11, or do we want 10 first? 11. And the smoke of their torment, he's talking about, uh, well, look at verse 9. A third angel followed them, saying in a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on the forehead or on the hand, yes, what's going to happen to them? He too will drink of the wine of the fury of God, which has been poured full strength into the cup of his wrath. He, who's he? The one who took the mark will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the lamb and the smoke of their torment rises for three and a half years. Is that what it says? No, it rises forever. That's the difference. Take a little persecution or be killed. And by the way, if a Christian is killed, do you know what happens? They go instantly into the presence of God, right? There's no interim period. There's no limbo. There's no purgatory. If you're a Catholic, I apologize. It ain't true. It's not in the Bible. You know what happens? Absent from the body, present with the Lord. The worst thing you can do to me as a believer, if you want to persecute me, is kill me. And that just ushers me into the throne room of God. Win-win. And I'm done with the whole Antichrist thing, right? Yes, but what about your family? And I'm, we're all going to get there as believers. Okay. Um, chapter 14. And the smoke of their torment rises. He's talking about hell forever and ever. There's no rest day or night for those who worship the beast or his image. Or for anyone who receives the mark of his name. Do you see it happening again and again and again? He wants you to make it clear. What does he say? Just like chapter 13, verse 12. This calls for patient endurance on the part of the saints who obey God's commandment and remain faithful to Jesus. Okay, I just wanted to say, don't think, hey, I'm just doing it for economic reasons. I'm not worshiping anybody. I might say, Antichrist is Lord, but I don't really mean it. This is a deal breaker for God, right? In chapter 7, the 144,000, which are Jewish believers in Jesus, are sealed on their foreheads with the mark of God, ownership, their mind, and they're protected. We covered that earlier. They're going to come back in chapter 14. What's your point, Joe? Ownership. If you take a mark on your hand or your forehead of the beast, then you are owned by him. And his destiny, hell, is your destiny. Don't do it. It's better to die? Absolutely. Way better. Because there's special honor in heaven for those who die saying, go ahead and kill me. I believe in the Lord Jesus. Eleven of the twelve apostles said that. I'm not going to recant, so go ahead. You know, praise God. Okay, now that everybody's really bummed out, let's go back to chapter 13. Talk more about the this mark. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Christians are sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Thessalonians, 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians 1.13, sealed. Um, we're owned by him. Do you, you, are you saying you have a mark on your forehead, Joe? Yes, invisibly. Can God see it? Yes. Can you? No. Can I in the mirror? No. God can see it. He knows those who are his. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Um, yeah, I'm going to save that for later. I'm just looking at notes here. So it could be a mark, a tattoo, a chip, a barcode under the skin. Hard to, hard to say for sure. Um, by the way, getting a mark for the Jews, like a tattoo, 
prohibited in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 14, prohibited. Don't mark up your body. Um, okay, let's talk about 666 now. Did we get to that verse? I thought we did. Um, yeah, so that they you can't buy or sell unless you have the mark, the name of the beast, or the number of his name. You say, well, what, what's going on there? In Greek and in Hebrew, they had an alphabet. You say, big deal, we, we're in English, we have an alphabet. Yes, but in English, we have an alphabet, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And we also have numbers, one, two, three, four, five. They didn't. What do you mean? No numbers? No numbers. Each letter had a number equivalent. So they don't have the same alphabet, but stay with me on this. A would be one, B would be two, C would be three. You with me? All the way up to nine. Okay, what's the ninth letter of the alphabet? A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I think. After that, the next letter of the alphabet would be 10, and then 20, and then 30. And then when you get done with the tens, it's hundreds, okay? So that everybody's name, you could spell it out, but you could also use the letters to count up the values and say, Jim Foster is 541 when you add it up. Or I'm making that up. Joe Sherino, 747 or whatever. Um, there's graffiti that was found uh, in ancient Pompeii in the ruins uh, there from the volcano. And the actual graffiti said, I love her whose number is 545. Kind of code. Okay. So who's the Antichrist? You're waiting for me to tell you. I don't know. Hasn't been revealed yet. Who have they thought it was over the centuries? Um, Caesar Nero, Hitler, Caligula, Napoleon, several popes, the Roman Catholic Church, Ronald Reagan in the 80s. Did you ever hear that one? Anybody? Ronald, six letters. Wilson, six letters. Reagan, six letters. Oh, it's him. Wrong. Barack Obama. Um, hundreds of others. The majority of the commentaries before 1800 say it's the Pope or the Catholic Church. Is it? I don't know. We'll know when the time comes. It's senseless to try to work the numbers because what, when you read books on this, I'll just tell you, they play tricks with the name and can make anything add up to 666. Anything. So uh, we have to wait and see. But there's some weird things about 666. First of all, in the Bible, six, seven is the number of God, perfection. Six is less. It's the number of man in the Bible. Man was created on the sixth day. We work for six days, rest on the seventh. This is eerie stuff. Listen, are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay. When you add up the Roman numerals, remember one is I, five is V, uh, X is 10, L is 50, C is 100, D is 500. When you add up 500 plus 100 plus 50 plus 10, that's 60, uh, that's 660, plus 5 is 665, plus 1 is 666. 6 times 6 is 
36. This is bizarre to me. Six times six is 36. You say, so what, Joe? If you add up all the numbers from one to 36, one plus two plus three plus four, all the way plus 30 plus 31, guess what it equals? 666. Weird. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But it is certainly is interesting. So if, if, if six is the number of man, then 666 is a unholy trinity. Because the Bible, God would be 777. Man is always less than God, imperfect. So um, verse 18 talks about wisdom of trying to figure it all out. Uh, some numerical value, when we see the guy who takes over the world, who's clearly evil, and his name or his number of his name somehow will add up to 666 and we'll know. Um, Goliath, Old Testament, was six cubits high, had six fingers and six toes, and his spearhead weighed six shekels. Here's a weird one. The only place in the Bible besides here where 666 appears, strangely, is that Solomon's salary, remember King Solomon, who wasn't the greatest of the kings, let's face it, he introduced uh, idolatry and what have you, his salary was 666 um, talents of gold each year. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> Telling you the truth. Um, he will be revealed at some day. Till then, we can guess, but we don't know. Nazis tattooed the Jews in World War II. Um, in Ezekiel, there's the story of a, Ezekiel sees a man with a writing kit, whatever that is, maybe like a, a tattooing kind of a thing. He sees a man with a writing kit, and God says, go through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of those who grieve and lament over all the detestable things that are done in it. God's people being marked for protection. Satan's imitating that mark. The point is, um, well, I can tell you this as well. Seventh-day Adventists believe that the mark of the beast will be mandated Sunday worship. I've met Seventh-day Adventists that believe if you worship on Sunday, you sinners. Oh, wait, I do too. We who worship on Sunday already have the mark of the beast, according to them, because it's so important that you worship on the Sabbath, the seventh day, not the first day uh, to them. In any case, don't go home with a calculator and start figuring out Donald J. Trump. Ooh, 641. Let's see, how can we make it? Instead, shouldn't we be concentrating on Jesus Christ and spreading the gospel to other people? Absolutely. Um, in a way, Israel was marked in the Old Testament and the Exodus with the blood over the doorpost. Do you remember that? Which protected them. Um, we are sealed by God. We are his. It might get really dicey at the end. American Christians tend to think, not me. I'll never be persecuted like that. I wonder how comfortable Americans are going to feel about getting persecuted. Is that what will cause, I'm just asking, the falling away in which many say, I'm out. They're really coming after churches and coming with machine guns and we're just going to stay home. And, and if I need to take a hand, a mark on my hand to feed my family, 
I'm going to do it. Better not. You saw what happens to them. No exception. It is declaring that you are in Satan's camp forever. A mark. A permanent uh, mark. Okay. I'm just reading notes here to see what I forgot. The idea of calculating names with numbers has a name. It's called gematria, G-E-M-A-T-R-I-A, meaning somebody's name. You can figure out the numbers and calculate their, their number and what have you. Uh, we talked about that. So we're not going to know, but he will be revealed. Uh, and I think you'll sense it anyway, as will I with the Holy Spirit to guide us kind of thing. I'm just reading the rest of my notes here. Uh, I think that's it. Let's look at that verse one more time, though, to see if there's anything other nuggets we can pull out of it. Everybody has to get a mark on their right hand or their forehead. I won't sell this too hard, but in my household, we talk about being prepared for the worst. Even if this is a thousand years in the future, there, you saw what happened in Florida, right? Natural disasters. If you can, I believe you should have some food stored, okay? Two years like the Mormons? I don't know. But have some food stored, okay? Because you might not be able to go to the store if they take the power grid out, if there's a nuclear war, who knows? But Everybody always says food. Can I just tell you, a human being can live 29 days with no food. Now, you're not having fun after the first three or four or five days, I admit, and you don't look good after 10, let alone 15 or 20, if you're still around. If you've got health problems, you're probably gone at 10 or 15 days with no food. But three to five days with no water, you are done. Big difference. What are you saying? Store water. There's, there are, they sell them. We have one, a thing that's about this big that will take the grossest puddle of scum water, mud, extract water from it and filter it out so that it's drinkable. Just, you know, but do you have no faith, Joe? Don't you think God will provide? I do think God will provide. But I think we can take steps to be as prepared as we can be. Um, what did you say? Yeah, he provided the filter. Right? Exactly. I found it on Amazon. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Okay. Enough about that. Let's briefly get into chapter 14 now that everybody's really bummed out. And this is another parenthesis. This is not chronological. What you're going to read is he's fast forwarding to the end. He knows that chapter 13, when Joe teaches the Bible study, is going to bum everybody out. Antichrist persecution. I got my head cut off, my family. I don't want to take the mark. Where am I going to eat? But chapter 14 is a way of saying, by the way, we win. God wins. He's got this. Don't worry. Watch. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like this roar of rushing waters, like, this, like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. 
and they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed for the earth from the earth. Total change in tone. Did you catch that? There's nobody dying. There, this might be answering the question, and there are two questions that are answered in chapter 14. Well, what happens to the people that get martyred if they do? This is a scene of heaven, okay? Um, as I said, it's not chronological. What he's talking about, the second coming, Mount Zion, Jesus with the Lamb, and those that are saved, it's chapter 19 is where that happens. We're, we're barely getting into 14. He just wants you to know, I'm fast-forwarding to the end. The good guys win in the end, Okay. By the way, there's no good guys or good women. There's one good Lord that makes rotten guys and gals good. Um, he understands that he's been writing about Christians being harassed, being killed, being persecuted, being imprisoned. This chapter shows that if that happens, their sacrifice was not worthless. It had great value to God, and they didn't lose. They won. So this is going to answer those two questions. Well, what happens to the believers that the head got chopped off? They lost, right? Apparently, no, they won. What happens to the beast and his whole army and Harold, the Antichrist guy that comes? They won. It looks like they won. No, they totally lose in a way way worse than getting your head chopped off. Their way of losing is eternal. That's what he's going to show us. Um, it's an assurance. It's a, a, a way to encourage believers. If we're alive at the time this is happening, we're going to be reading 13 a little, 14 a lot, okay, to encourage us. All right, let's dive in. Chapter 14, we're not going to get far because it's late and the teacher talks too much. Then I looked and there before me was the Lamb. Who's that class? Jesus Christ. Standing on Mount Zion, that's a Jewish term for the area around Jerusalem, the hills around Jerusalem. So there he is. He's come back to the earth, second coming. Got the picture? Some think this is the heavenly Mount Zion, and this is not in, on earth. Most scholars think it's on earth. And with him, the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, to find them, you got to go back to chapter 7, of the book of Revelation. Go there with me now, please. Because in chapter 7, 144,000 Jewish people are sealed by God. They are Jews. We're positive of that. And they become Christians. Okay, verse 4 of chapter 7. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, from all the tribes of Israel. And just in case you miss that, he wants you to know they're Jews so badly that he writes verses 5 through 8. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, do you see all those tribes? The 144,000 is not Herb, uh, uh, Armstrong's Worldwide Church of God. They think it's them. It's not the Jehovah's Witnesses. They think it's them. I always say to the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, you people think the 144,000 are Jehovah's Witnesses? Yes. Which tribe are you from? I've got the list here. I'll look you up. Well, I'm not from a tribe. Well, then 
you got to be from Manasseh or Levi or Simeon or Naphtali or you're out. These are Jews who graciously God saves 144,000 of them back in chapter 7 and they turn the world upside down and witness for Jesus in a way that's un, that we should have been doing. They do it in a much bigger, bigger way. They're seen here, whether they're, they've been protected completely or have some been martyred, we don't know. But the point is, every one of them, it doesn't say 139,000, right? We lost some, it's 144,000. God didn't lose a single individual. Some see those as being uh, symbolic of all believers, maybe, but they're clearly Jewish. I have to keep saying it because the Bible says it, right? I'd love to put myself in that group and make up a tribe. The tribe of Sherino is, it's not in there. Uh, so they're victorious. The beast didn't beat them. Um, they survived the fiery furnace, just like Daniel and his buddies. Remember in chapter three of Daniel, God is able to preserve his people. Um, the name on the forehead means he owns them. He protects them. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Uh, notice whose name is on their foreheads. And we're almost done. Don't worry. Who had his name referring to who? The lamb. So whose name is on their foreheads? Jesus Christ. And his father's name, God the Father, Yahweh, if you will. Notice what it doesn't say. On their foreheads was P for Presbyterian, B for Baptist, A for Assembly of God. Forget it. Those are all man-made distinctions. When you die, when you get to heaven, don't say, I'm looking for the Presbyterian neighborhood, if I could find. There won't be one, okay? Nothing against Presbyterians, nice people. Where's the Methodist? Where's the Assembly of God? Where's the uh, Evangelical Free? I want to be in that group. Christian, non-Christian. That's all there is, two groups. Okay, we're out of time. We will get into chapter 14, which will be a lot happier chapter next time, God willing. Okay? Um, and we'll get into Babylon and all of that and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, uh, if you have a prayer request or a question, you can always email me where you get the email for the Bible study. Just reply to that. Um, and hopefully we'll see you next week. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time in your word. And it's been, wow, astounding to think of a future time in human history when one man will control the world. And unfortunately, he's in the power, under the power of the devil. We thank you that his time is very short, really. Seven years and only three and a half are the really bad part. And then your son, Jesus Christ, reigns from then on, a thousand years and then forever in the new heavens and the new earth. So Lord, help us not to be bummed out or fearful. Help us to rejoice if we see these things happening in our lifetimes that the word is true and that because you win, we win with you. Totally undeserved, total grace. We love you, Father. We truly owe you everything. Thank you for that mark on our foreheads. Um, that designates that we are yours. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that is the seal you place inside of us, Father. May we be in your word and in prayer and in obedience day by day, God. 
Thank you for these things we've learned. May they change the way we live. And we look up watchful for the second coming of your son, Jesus. We pray all these things in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for being here. Make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Have a great night.